0: what you have always wanted to do. On Max's Island, we like to hear from people whose experiences have made a difference to not only their lives, but have also opened opportunities for listeners to understand some broader issues faced by many. And whilst we are not party political on Max's Island, we do like to stand up for those issues that really make our country a better place to live for all. This week, as we approach a day of action to defend the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS, it is important to remind Australians of the need to maintain the integrity of this scheme so that people with disability can truly exercise their choice and control to aspire to a better life. This is at risk, with the scheme being marginalised through funding cuts and to become a welfare system where people are treated just as numbers. This cannot happen. So, on this episode, what better way to understand the importance of funding the NDIS adequately to promote opportunity and aspiration, than to be reintroduced to Natalia Hodgins and her health challenges with myalgic encephalomyelitis and how this has led to her to understand she now lives with a disability.
1: I have been given a number of different diagnoses. Some of them are linked really closely to ME-CFS, you know, stuff like chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is linked to mold toxicity. And ME-CFS is one of those diseases that tends to have like overlapping diagnoses and conditions associated with it. So as far as my health goes, it's still a murky mess. It's just not as dire as it was in the beginning.
0: (laughs) And were they able to actually trace it back to that flu and the mould toxicity?
1: Well, I've had a lot of conversations with my doctors about a perfect storm of factors and so we you know very much i know from doing my own timeline that that is when my symptoms started immediately after that virus and that that exposure to toxic mold so to me it's very clear that that happened and that yes while i loved new york it it was a stressful time i had moved overseas mm. i was living there by myself um so you know you think about stressors i wouldn't i would never have called that a stressor but in reality it it probably was putting a lot of stress on my system and sometimes it's just you know several factors that you know swirl up into a cyclone and then you your body breaks for whatever reason
0: so you're back in perth for a couple of years you're finally getting some stability into your health putting a little bit of weight back on understanding what is wrong with you is not certain diseases or certain ailments but yeah and there's this bit more clarity around um, what your body's telling you and, and, and perhaps what some of the medical fraternity is telling you. How have you approached your life since then?
1: Well, that's a great question because what do you do when you get sick but then you don't get better? I don't. And, and
0: most of us don't experience that because most of us get sick and we do get better and you move on
1: yeah but i mean one in five australians has a disability uh even more of us Jews suffer from chronic illness so we don't in that sense but i do think that that experience is not that rare i think it happens enough that perhaps we should have more support for those transitions and we just we don't so what do you do you can refuse to get out of bed You can scream into your pillow, which I did many times. You can rage against it and push your body to its limits until it breaks. And I did that as well. But none of that changes anything. Then you start on, for want of a better word, a journey to, you know, figure out who you are now after all of these things that have happened to you. To, you know, honor the grief around the person that you were the life that you had and the future that you thought you were going to have that you now have to let go of, and you start to find a way forward. So for me, and again, Tony, you're a storyteller, so you'll understand the importance of this. But I think I went through these massive life changes in my early 30s. And I would say that acquiring a disability is probably one of the most challenging transitions you can make as a human being. And what what I find really important when I'm going through transitions is other people's experiences and other people's stories. And so that's what I looked for. I looked for other stories like mine or similar to mine or that resonated with me And I found that as I was coming to terms with, you know, that two years of trauma, that really traumatic experience, it was really important for me to find my people and read about them and learn from them. And so some of the people I found that uh, shifted things for me were activists like Carly Finlay, uh, Tara Moss, the author who now has a chronic pain condition, Astrid Edwards, um, who is an incredibly smart woman with multiple sclerosis, and Brianne Benes, And all of these women were dealing with significant health challenges, but they lived really full and interesting lives. And they were fierce. They were smart. They kicked ass and they, they spent a lot of time advocating for their communities so being able to see people like that doing awesome things and just generally kicking butt, it was really important for me. And that's, that's representation, right? We don't have enough representation of people with disability or serious chronic illness in our media. And so something like this happens to you and you don't know where to learn, who to learn from or where to find community. You've really got to go out and seek it on social media because that's where it is. But what these women did for me was they allowed me to shift my thinking away from, you know, everything that had happened to me and everything that I'd lost and all of that grief. And they just allowed me to shift a little bit towards thinking about my future for the first time so that I could start softly exploring what I wanted to do and what my purpose was in this new chapter.
0: That sounds like an amazing situation to be in, that out of the trauma, the grief, the challenges of, of a major illness, that you've now found a new purpose. And that must have not happened overnight. And whilst you're inspired by these role models, when did you feel like the wheel had turned a bit for you and you were able to look forward?
1: Ah. Oh. Good question. Is there a
0: moment or is it you sort of look back and go, actually, I've moved on?
1: There were lots of little moments. I think that, you know, anyone who's lost someone they loved will understand what grief is like. But grief comes in waves and it takes months and years to get smaller and smaller. And so I've grieved myself uh, for a long time. And that ebbed and flowed and uh, fluctuated depending on what was happening. And sometimes it'll just hit you in the guts. Uh, but there were a number of turning points. And one was really accepting that I was disabled and leaning into that community and that word. Because I think as well, there's a lot of stigma around the words disability and disabled and it can be it can be really scary Um, i think we don't talk enough about illness or disability as a society as humans we gravitate towards things that are happy and exciting and joyful and those as much as that's a huge part of life grief illness disability and it will touch all of us we tend to just try and stay away from it because it is it's on that darker side of humanity.
0: I'm interested in the point of when it became a disability and and the, I guess the definition of it being moving from a health con- condition to a disability and who made that judgment?
1: So I think that it was disabling... I think my disease was disabling really early on. I mean, if you think about the things that... I did, like moving back in with my parents and relying on them for care uh, and only being able to work because of the support they gave me, not being able to drive further than, you know, 10 minutes from my house. All of those things, uh, they indicate that I was really disabled quite early on. But I think that there are lots of challenges around invisible illness and how that fits into disability. Uh, lots of challenges around chronic illness and how that fits into disability, and there's a lot of imposter syndrome around it. Whereby, I mean, Tony, you're sitting here looking at me right now. Would you say, do I look disabled? If if you saw me down the street, you wouldn't, you wouldn't um certainly not say that I was disabled. So that whole kind of invisible disability piece is makes it really it just adds a layer of challenge around seeing yourself in that disability community. But I think there are lots of disabilities that are invisible. So it's really important to call that out and acknowledge it. The first time I fully identified with being disabled was when I read Carly Finlay's brilliant book. She's one of the activists that I mentioned earlier on, and she wrote a memoir called Say Hello, a brilliant book. I really recommend it for anyone. Anyone, anywhere, it will change your perspective on life. And in it, she quotes another activist who defines disability as a physical or mental condition that you have to plan around every day. Now, that definition was so simple and so relatable for me. I was like, shit. I spend hours planning my life around my health. My medical condition is like a cranky, tantrum-throwing, purple-faced toddler, just constantly disrupting my life without any of the good things that come from actually having a toddler. If I want to go somewhere, I have to think about how I'm going to get there and back because I can't necessarily drive myself. If I'm going into the office for work, I have to take my food and my medications with me if I'm going outside and it's hot, I have to think about how to modulate my body temperature because my body doesn't do that naturally. And every single second of the day, I have to think about how I'm rationing my energy to make sure I don't run out of it and end up in a vulnerable position. So... When I thought about my health condition in the context of that really simple definition that was given around planning your life around your health condition, your physical or mental health condition, I, it, it was like a light bulb moment for me. I was like, aha, this is why life feels so hard because I am disabled and because I don't have any of the formal supports or accommodations in place that I need to be able to live a good life.
0: I'm fascinated by your journey because we certainly do think of people with a disability either being born with it or acquiring it from a traumatic accident brain injury something like that
1: spinal cord injury yeah
0: Yeah. so Mm -hmm. to evolve into a position of having a disability that started as a health condition I don't think I I think that's interesting because it's probably is a bit of an invisible thing out there and it's very misunderstood
1: yes absolutely and i think as well we have so much internalized ableism and i don't i don't feel like i'm well versed enough to talk about this really clearly yet i'm still wrapping my head around everything that is disability and the terms but i think that to i think it takes a lot to process and to accept and acknowledge that you are disabled not because it's a bad thing but because as a society, the mainstream narratives we have around disability can be really negative. And like I said before, that's why it was so important for me to find some of those women and to see that representation. Because these women were doing things that were incredible that I that I wanted to do that I would have wanted to do at any point in my life not just because I was now disabled they were publishing books and speaking it in front of audiences of thousands and you know running podcasts and uh just basically doing amazing things with their life and I think that lack of repre- representation Of people with disabilities, all different kinds of disabilities is really key. We need more disabled writers being published. We need more disabled speakers speaking at conferences, and we need more disability representation in business, in every area of business, in leadership, on boards, in middle management. Uh, You just don't really see it. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of masking and and that happens for good reason because business is not really set up to not really set up to accommodate people with disabilities.
0: You've really created another discussion point there that we could go on for hours about the I think as a culture our push for diversity in the workplace is in a commendable situation in that we're very cognizant of trying to accommodate some people with disability into the workplace, into other elements of society. But you've hit on a quite a different point and that's really normalising people with a disability just continuing to do a regular life, having regular aspirations, having regular lives you know I, I actually like using the word normal lives whatever normal is to you the fact that you have a disability shouldn't make any difference to the fact that you can aspire to a normal life and that's refreshing to hear you talk about that because you've just recalibrated recalibrated and with an understanding of of where you're at physically where you're at mentally. Where you're at in your life and resetting to aspire to do other things, with a with an understanding that your base is probably a little bit different now. That you acknowledge that there is some disabling aspects to your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. I think this idea of difference is really hard to break through, and. And I think that we're still quite uncomfortable with disability. We just are. For me, uh, work has always been a really important part of my life. And that's why I bring up that point about business and seeing disability represented in leadership and that type of thing. I've always been heavily invested in my career and I've done well in it. And I, as a human being, associate so strongly with the work that I do There's a lot of my identity tied up in my career and I'm really connected to the things that it gives me. And when I talk about that, I don't just mean money, although yes, that's definitely part of it. I mean the sense of worthiness and value and connection that work gives me. And that's been the case my whole life. I've always loved working. Um, I've always, you know, focused on my career. But interestingly, it was really amplified when I was sick. And that was because, you know, coming back to one of your earlier questions about how did you cope through that period? Well, one of the coping tools that I used was work, because I could go to work and just be me. I wasn't consumed by this need to find answers i wasn't consumed by my illness it was a distraction and i was part of a team and i was working towards a bigger purpose doesn't really matter what it was just that there was a goal and i was making a contribution and i think that that period really clarified for me how important work is and how how it can have so much meaning in your life and be so linked to your value and that was that's really interesting for me because at the same time you know i have had mixed experiences with work since getting sick and since acquiring a disability Uh, For the most part, I've been very lucky and I'll be the first person to to say it, I've been extremely privileged to have supportive mentors and to work for people who absolutely did the right thing by me in very difficult situations. But at the same time, I have worked for some people who set really low expectations for me where I've been using about 20% of my brain and uh, that's no fun. And I have also had really terrible experiences where an organization refused to listen to what I need needed to stay healthy. And it took one really bad experience for me to see clearly that I was trying to fit myself into a system that wasn't really built for me. Sure, I'd had some great leaders who had been super supportive, but I had probably been thinking that that was the norm, when in fact it was an exception to the rule. Because the business community, it's just not built for disabled people right now. Aside from some outliers, it's it's really not accessible. Do you think
0: what you've just explained is still a lack of understanding in the workplace by a lot of middle and senior managers around... The wholeness of the person in the workplace they still have this perception that when you come to work you're still in you're in work mode and that's it and they don't really appreciate the wholeness of the person you know there's a lot of organization more progressive organizations that are actually starting to understand that we need to embrace the person as an individual for their entire capacity outside of work and in work and that will allow them to be more creative more focused perform better achieve better outcomes and do you think that is still one of the things that holds people back if they have a disability?
1: Yes. So you've 100% hit the nail on the head. And the thing that I personally found really frustrating was that, you know, so when our four years from the point where I got sick. And over that four years on top of the professional experience i already had and i had i've had you know 12 to 13 years of incredible professional experience i now have all of this life experience from what i've been through and when i think about that life experience i just think how does that not make me more valuable to an organization like i have had to become an epic problem solver simply because even to this day there are issues that pop up with my health all the time that an expert can't solve for me. I have to go and solve it myself. And sometimes it seems impossible and yet somehow I always find a way. And sometimes that way is just by, you know, bashing down doors or by sweet talking people into doing things for me or, you know, getting super creative. So what skills have I developed there? Well, negotiating and influencing, creativity. I mean, some of the skills that they frequently talk about in the business community as needing as we head into this 21st digital uh, century whatever. So it it's really, confu- it was really confusing to me as to why I was facing into these challenges trying to grow and develop my career when in fact, I felt like I, as a whole person, had more to bring to the table than I did four or five years ago. But trying to get business to see that and I use the word business very I'm using that on purpose because like you said in your question, I think it's very much about for profit business and business makes the world go round. It has, it holds so much power in terms of shifting change and becoming more inclusive and welcoming difference into that community but i do think like i do think that it's a little bit stuck and it needs to make a few more shifts and you know to really to really become inclusive you do you need to see past the disability or past gender or past sexuality to see the whole person and what they can bring to the table
0: i love your explanation there we often hear about the importance of lived experience but I think what you've said there is going to the next level and that's it to actually say that you've become an expert by experience and becoming an expert by experience adds immense value to what you bring not only to yourself but also to a work environment or any other social environment that you may be in. And I totally agree with you that that can often be undervalued. Now come back to that point of the wholeness of the person. So the value of your challenge over four years is all of those things. Whereas potentially looking at a CV, people might go, oh, there's a hole there, there's a deficiency there, where in fact there actually is this incredible sense of learning from the experience that has made you a bit of an expert in a whole range of things that give you value.
1: Yeah, and I said it before and I'll say it again, I very much acknowledge my privilege in this space, which is that I've had I have a wonderful network of people and I've had some really great mentors and leaders that have made it relatively easy for me to stay in work. But I can see so easy so clearly how easy it would be for me to just fall out of the workforce and then find it really really hard to get back in. And I think about all the talent that we have that we're potentially wasting. You know, like I said, disabled people are, are potentially our best problem solvers and innovators just because they're wired that way. So if we can't be flexible about creating jobs that accommodate people's needs and we can't get comfortable with the idea of disability, I mean, that's where organisations are really missing out. So as we sort
0: of wind up, what do you see is your future in the short term? One, to make sure that you achieve things within a healthy environment for you, but then also pushing those limits again once you get that strength and that focus to be able to push that, those limits around disability and inclusion and trying to hit some aspirations in that field.
1: So I think there's a huge opportunity for business in this space. You know, society continues to put more and more pressure on businesses to operate ethically and do the right thing. And genuinely including the disability community in your workforce is the right thing to do. I also just want to call out that once you start to research it, the disability consumer market, so disabled consumers, That market is absolutely massive. It represents 15% of the world's population, which is bigger than China. And think about how we talk about China as a market. And disabled people and the people who care about them, they have an annual spending power of $13 trillion in disposable income. And to me, that is 13 trillion reasons why business should care about how disability is represented in their products, in their services, and in their workforce. Because to capitalise on that market, business is going to need to have people on the inside who understand that market and know how to create products and services that cater for them. So there's, you know, there's lots of wicked problems in the disability sector that need to be solved. But this one around disability and work is one that really lights me up and it's partly because of the the really important role that work has played in my own life. In answer to your question I'm still not 100% sure what role I have to play in tackling the problem but I have started to make some much bigger shifts in my life uh, to figure out how I can contribute.
0: Natalia as we wind up I'm really glad that we're able to talk around the passion to shift the dial in society and how that you've, out of incredible adversity, you've landed in a spot where you can see forward, you can see a pathway, you can see some things that can be done, not only for others, but for yourself. So as we finish up, what's next in store? What's your little aspiration? Share with whatever you want to. Um, This is your opportunity. I'm not pushing you at all but I really would be interested to know what ray of sunshine do you see on the horizon for you.
1: So I see lots of sunshine actually and it's it's interesting to it's interesting for me to acknowledge that given where I was 2 or 3 years ago it's interesting to see how far I've come. And I'm really excited that I've just started postgraduate study at Deakin University. So I'm doing a grad cert in disability and inclusion. Uh, And I'm hoping that that will give me a lot more of the context around systems and theory. And I'll get to learn more about other people's lived experiences of disability as well. So Really excited to start that. Had my first seminar last week, and yeah, I've got all my reading ready to go, so keen to get stuck into that. The other exciting thing that's sunny in my life at the moment is that I just got accepted into HireUp Sport Observership Program. So HireUp are uh, a company that I really admire. They're a technology startup who provide disability services to the community, and I've been you know, tinkering with different ways to contribute my lived experience and they provide this incredible program that's designed to increase representation of disabled people at a board level. So over the next six months, I'll have amazing opportunities to learn from higher up um, and uh, just learn as much as I can about their business and the disability sector and that has me really fired up. I'm super excited about that one. I was thrilled to find out that I got Um, that I got a place in that program. Uh, So awesome program. And if you're listening and you think it's something you'd be interested in, I really recommend, you know, uh, following higher up on LinkedIn where they post about it so you can find out more about the next intake. And those are kind of the two big shifts I'm doing over the next six months to see to kind of feel out where else I can take this and uh, what I can help to change. And just on that note as well around LinkedIn, I'm really open to talking to people who are in the same area or exploring the same things. I really love hearing people's experiences and lived experience has been such a big part of my life. So love to hear from other people. So feel free to look me up and reach out if you have something to chat to me about.
0: Natalia, thank you so much for being on Max's Island. It's been an incredible story. I've known you for some time and I've known the experience that you had and from a professional point of view and what that was leading up to going to New York and following that dream. The last four years has been a challenge, but I can see that you'll now hit much greater heights with this understanding of who you are now and as i mentioned before i think you've now become an expert by experience which is really important because you are taking that lived experience and developing it and evolving it and i can i can see that your aspirations will make a difference not only to yourself which is really important but to many many others in the very near future so thanks for being on the island and good luck in the future
1: Thank you so much for having me, Tony. It was a pleasure.
2: this way